Venezuelans in the vineyard? What would a libertarian do? I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. But before we get to that, I want to tell you, if you are listening to this with commercials, there are two ways to get it commercial-free. You can get all of my stuff and only my stuff on my commercial-free feed, Deep Dives with Monica Perez, on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you want more at rockfin.com slash propaganda report, you can get all of my stuff commercial-free, as well as any videos I do and everything Binkley does, also commercial-free, all the videos he does and the premium stuff he does, the live streams with Cam, everything. So check out rockfin.com slash propaganda report. And while you're here, hopefully you're now listening to this commercial-free, uh, this is a special occasion because I have never before invited someone to do a deep dive with me. But today I invited a fellow libertarian to sit in on the show, someone you have surely heard on my feed before and on his own feed at the Libertarian Institute, someone whose thoughts and opinions I have a great deal of respect for. So please join me in welcoming Keith Knight. And thank you, Keith, for being here. Monica, you spoil me rotten with that introduction. <laughs> I appreciate being on Deep Dives. Well, I have to say it is such a shame that people cannot see you because you are looking so dapper and you are in the color of the year periwinkle tie. I don't know if you know that that's Peloton's cover of the color of the year. No, no, I uh, d do not know. Uh, basically, my uh, biggest judge is my grandma will come across the videos on YouTube and leave me a 30-minute voicemail <laughs> saying, Keith, the tie was good. Unfortunately, <laughs> the shirt was not ironed to the degree it should have been. Uh, so th that's my biggest incentive. See, that's good. She's keeping you honest. There's a little intergenerational wisdom there. <laughs> I actually think it's Pantone. I don't know. Somebody sets the colors, but you're on the cutting edge. I can tell you. Well, thank you so much. Uh, and you get the rare privilege of seeing me without makeup on. So th this will this video will never be seen. <laughs> I'm screenshotting already. I'm selling it. I'm starting a Monica only fans. So I can start oh my goodness! Well, we better keep moving. Uh, okay, so let's get up on this platform and take a giant stride off of the following headline from Yahoo News. Majority of Americans support sending illegal immigrants to Democrat-led cities. So this story is about uh, the latest episode of this. DeSantis from Florida sent, I think, 50 Venezuelans to Martha's Vineyard. And the vineyard, I read, quickly moved them out. I was actually speculated that Obama had ordered them because doesn't he have a huge mansion up there? And <laughs> figure if they don't, they don't have any immigrants anyway. So maybe that's a little dark and cynical, but Abbott did the same thing to New York. That's the Texas governor. And I, I actually, I don't think it's funny myself because I've been made the, you know, I was kind of unpopular as a forced like female affirmative action hire at an M and a group I worked in once. And, uh, you know, people played little pranks on me and it was a little degrading. So I actually don't think this is super funny. However, 50% of the people polled by whatever this polling thing was, it was in Yahoo. So it wasn't, I don't know, I wouldn't expect it to be a, um, like a right wing thing. So it pulled mostly uh, along party lines, but 50% of the people thought this was uh, approved of it. 20% of Democrats approved of it, but like 80-something percent of Republicans. And they said, the Republicans said that it was an effective way to raise awareness to the issue. Keith, what is your response, your reaction to this whole story? Okay, well, uh, the first four words just bug me immediately. Majority of American support, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to stop <laughs> you right there. So in other words, people, and this is not me picking on Americans, this applies to any country on the planet Maybe the exception is uh, Switzerland, but every single country with regard to politics, history, economics, philosophy is ignorant about these topics. So all you're saying is ignorant people think X. This is whatever you're about to say is not that impressive. So stop stop pretending that it is. That is my, that's the first okay. thing that, uh, that, that annoys me. But it makes sense because the cost of getting informed, well, you have to risk your humility. You have to spend thousands of hours researching all these complex topics that are constantly changing, and you're not likely to have a huge effect on the outcome. You get a one in 100 million vote, and 
Uh, I don't know if this is on YouTube, but let's just say God only knows if those votes are counted. So <laughs> there's no right. incentive for people to get totally informed. So the fact that a lot of people support or oppose something is not a great indicator. Moving on. Okay. About this topic uh, specifically, it's so vitally important that people bear the cost of their bad opinions. So when the average Democrat advocates something like, I want both uh, the open borders, indiscriminate association with Americans, and once they're here, I want the domestic population to feel terrible about their heritage, while the incoming immigrants feel great about theirs. I want everyone to have to bear the cost of paying for health care, paying for schools, whether they like them or not. And it's okay because I am just focusing on the other side of the equation, which is giving this stuff away for free. So by DeSantis and Abbott physically taking people, putting them right in a place where it would be less convenient for them to be, he's actually making them bear a cost for these bad opinions. You can run around all day saying, I think taxes should be tripled on everyone else. Well, okay, you look like someone who just desires justice, and you never have to pay a dime for that bad opinion. So th there's a great lesson in here about increasing the cost of people having bad ideas. Maybe this isn't the solution, but I think it's some step in the right direction by really giving people what they ask for. Okay. And as to my point in response to that, I agree with that in large part. And actually there was a lot in there that I want to get into after we kind of lay a little more groundwork about what the real causes and solutions and implications of these bad policies. I even in my notes have a reference to Switzerland. <clears throat> so I think that's a coincidence, but, uh, but I will say that the immigrants at issue where I, I have sympathy for them as human beings, of course, I mean, I think maybe it goes without saying that they have put themselves in the position where they don't actually have control of their circumstances. They're at our mercy. And to the extent that they're bad actors or opportunists, um, then maybe they deserve that. But I think that some of the causes of immigration can result from our terrible foreign policies. So I want to talk about that stuff too, because the quote root causes of the immigration seems to be the thing that the Democrats are kind of using as an excuse for a lot of foreign intervention, but I think they've got it all wrong from top to bottom. And that's really, really what I want to get into today. So let's just lay the groundwork real quick. There's no, I don't, you can add to this, but I don't think there is anything um, of what exactly the, the, what's happening. And then I want to talk about like why it matters. What's happening is that we have had an immigration problem for decades. Probably the, you know, the modern era of immigration issues was ushered in in the 60s by Ted Kennedy, who made a sweeping, advocated for a sweeping change in immigration laws. And you know, I don't I don't think we're going to go at this. That would be quite a deep dive, but we could do a whole show on that and probably every little sub issue here. But the bottom line is we do not have um, well thought out in good faith immigration policy that is executed in a logical, consistent and compassionate fashion. I would say that that is intentional, and I don't think it's possible to argue that it's not intentional because there are models of a good one, uh, of a system that is consistent and uh, applicable, which is Switzerland, I think. I mean, it's strict, but it's they do it and they stick to it. And then there's a model of like Sweden, where they have a problem with um, Iraqi and Somalian immigration. That's not an open or closed border. A wall would not solve that. That is clear. It makes it even clearer that it's a policy issue. They, they actually do fly them in there as well. But um, so I think that the problem is a policy and I think it's intentional. Do you want to respond to that? Yeah, uh, as far as uh, it being intentional, uh, one of the main, uh, I guess, litmus tests you can uh, have for the political class, for uh, universities and the people who really push these ideas and shape public opinion is ask them whether or not this is important. Well, if it applies to millions of people and they constantly talk about the idea, well, you can generally say that it is important. And certainly when families were being separated under First Obama, and then Trump, it was a big issue. So we know that even they admit it's a big issue. Now, we could then say, well, do they have 
a one a stake in making sure that uh, there is a solution or do they still get a paycheck no matter what in fact if there's a problem well people tend to come to them and so they actually have a disincentive to come up with a quote solution and then third do they apologize when their ideas have been implemented on a large scale and things didn't go according to plan so based on those general principles we can determine whether this is just an accident of happenstance or this is a policy. Because uh, the answer to all those three is absolutely yes, we can uh, reasonably say that this is done intentionally. This gives them the vagueness. This gives them the wiggle room to both drastically increase the number of people when they want to make Arizona a blue state. Because uh, right now it's more or less purple. Uh, Blake Masters and Mark Kelly are at like 50%, and Mark Victor, the LP candidate, has like 5%. Um, so he's actually almost calling the shots here in Arizona. <laughs> but th that would allow them to increase uh, the immigration in that aspect. But say that Russia goes into Poland or Ukraine. Well, the average person there is not exactly very friendly to the cathedral and a lot of people um, who are uh, calling the shots in America. So at that point, they could have much stricter immigration. So that's why it's so vitally important for them to not have a principled position that we could really hold them to. That's my general understanding of uh, where they stand on the issue. Okay. So a couple of things. Yes, they there is definitely a perverse incentive slash moral hazard of having, and this is true for government in general. It's if they are selling you security, they need you to be insecure. They, they can't actually, so I always, I always say the difference between the left and the right is that one gets exploited for their fiscal insecurity and the other gets exploited for its physical insecurity. So the, you know, you could say the haves and the have nots, whatever. So that's how I see it. And, and it's all, always, but benefits the welfare warfare super state. One is one side and one is the other, and they know where their bread is buttered. Uh, just for people who don't know, and maybe you can correct me. I, I once said that the three most influential fields in this country are also the three fields that have absolutely no rubber hitting the road. There's no real consequences or feedback, media, academics, and politics. They want to tell you what to do, but they actually never have to suffer the consequences. Is that the cathedral? Yes. Uh, when Curtis Jarvin says, I, I shouldn't be using these terms without specifying what I yes. mean. I'm sorry yes. about that. Yes. This um, isn't yes. the Libertarian Institute. This is Deep Dives with Monica Perez. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, the cathedral would be the government, the corporate press, as well as academia. Right. Politics, okay. media, academia. And and actually, I think his his point of that wasn't what I was saying about these people who have no accountability and ultimate influence or make it their job to be influential. I thought, does he not say that they're the ones who are beholden to politics for their jobs and that that's why they're captive? What's his point in the in talking about the cathedral? We're really going off on a tangent here, but well, the the question is is why are all these organizations synoptic? Why do Yale, Princeton, and Harvard generally publish yes. the same papers in the right direction. Yeah, right. Why isn't it that Stanford and Cornell, one went libertarian, the other went yeah. progressive, the other right. went fascist, the other went democratic socialist, they're all moving towards a uh, much bigger uh, fascist regime while promoting using communist tactics to promote fascism. The World Bank isn't talking about abolition of private property. It's about Bill Gates and a few pals owning all the private property, but first using the communist tactic of dividing people by race and by gender and by income to doing it. So it, it's such a beautiful scam that, uh, that, that they uh, have going on here. That's his that's, point in bringing that up. Okay, thank you. And that is that idea, what we call coincidence theory, came out of uh, none dare call it conspiracy, if I recall correctly, right? Yeah, Gary Allen's uh, yes. little book, uh, Coincidental yes. Theorists or something. Yes, they're coincidence theorists. That's just a coincidence that everybody's on the same page all the time and they're always going in the same direction. Like it's just freaky. <laughs> exactly. It happens all I the time. I think that's funny. Okay, so, so that I think we're in agreement about what that. Uh, basically what's the problem and, but why does it matter to us? I'm going to go first on that. I think there's a lot of things here and, and then you can fill in the blanks as I go. Uh, they have definitely weaponized immigration in a lot of different ways. And what they do is I think they, they blow up other countries economically, politically, even militarily. They spread refugees, uh, you know, like wildfire. And then when, 
the where those people end up, it causes political, cultural, and economic upheaval like here. It, it causes it there too. So it disconnects people from their roots there. They're here and they have no roots. It displaces even the the people who are already living in the country. And of course, like speaking to the previous moral hazard thing, that creates a lot of business for the human rights industry, which actually fosters this stuff. And it also creates a lot of reliance on big governments, on the safety nets that people think they need because they don't even know the old ways. They don't, they've given up their land, they're farming. They don't have the safety net of the families and stuff. And a lot of them aren't just choosing it because they're American at heart and really want to eat what they kill. They're doing it because we, we send, we drop 30,000 bombs a year on Syria, for example. I've got more, but I want to give you a chance. Of course. And uh, the, the, what the U.S. has done in uh, other countries uh, is absolutely atrocious. The main reason those other countries uh, have not uh, developed as far as wealth goes, I mean, it, you can look at the devastation of Germany and Japan in the Second World War. And even with all that, far worse than what has uh, happened in uh, Syria, you know, with things like Operation Meeting House, Nagasaki, Hir uh, Hiroshima, um, those countries were still able to build back up because they had the four general institutions that make societies wealthy, open markets, private property, rule of law, and stable governance. Um, not to be confused with a state, but stable governance as okay, far as Okay, so let's do that again because I believe that this is in the White House executive order or whatever, I, I'm not sure it's quite an executive order, that um, I want to get to, that Biden put out. So say that again. What were the things? Rule of law. So uh, the, the general four institutions, and when I right. say the word institution, I'm generally just talking about the role yeah. of an institution yep. being uh, a method of establishing a kind of presumption, not buildings, not anything else. So the four would be private property, rule of law, open markets, and stable governance. The countries that have those are wealthy. Countries that do not have those are impoverished. Best examples, North Korea versus South Korea, East Germany versus West Germany, Botswana and Zimbabwe, and Ghana and the Ivory Coast. Uh, all of those are controlled experiments where the more voluntarism, the more private property, the wealthier the people are because they have more chances of making mutually beneficial voluntary exchanges. There's a huge variable in North Korea that I think we have to acknowledge that the difference between North Korea and China is probably our policy towards them. Interesting. That that uh, that, that very well uh, could be. I'm trying so, to think of. So I'm not sure. Like, that's the thing. We don't get the information out of North Korea and we have an, the observer effects the observed there. And I just so I feel like it's not a pure experiment. I'm 100 percent behind you. And I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, that, that those four things are foundational principles that I, I mean, I learned in law school, but it's uh, great that you have them on the top of your head. And but it's absolutely true. One thing about North Korea, notice that uh, what the sanctions that America would have on North Korea are not sanctions that are a result of uh, too much private property and too much free trade. It is them, it is the American government embracing the communist principle of not allowing people to trade when yes, it comes yes, to. Yes. So the problem with it is too much communism oh. on the other side. And, and then the, when it comes and yeah. then when it comes to China, we yes. saw a drastic increase in China's uh, overall well-being after 1979 when they increased right. the amount of private property. Same with India well, after plus reforms they got in 1991. Most favored trade nation trading status China did. That China had a better trading terms with us than like Vietnam and stuff. Like there is a lot of manipulation in that stuff because I would argue that we look at our country, we look at these other countries and we say, well, we have free markets and they have communism, but we, we're, we've we gotten to the point where we hardly have free markets anymore and we do engage in this mercantilistic stuff, the trade that um, promote, like I shouldn't be getting frozen shrimp from China. Like having a refrigerator, you know, over the Pacific Ocean should not be economically sound. There have to be policy issues, even if it's just currency exchange, you know, currency manipulation. But we're getting down the rabbit, a different rabbit hole on that I one. Agree. Yeah. Um, okay, so the so the the other I'm gonna rattle off the my points on this. And if you just like if you want to jot a few things down, we'll get back to any responses you might have to these. So uh, I actually, just for the record, I, I agree with Milton Friedman that the unskilled labor that comes over on the lower end, like the undocumented labor, the illegal immigrants, they are the closest thing we have to a free market for labor. 
and I'm in favor of it. And they seem to be doing it arm's length. They want it. We want it. It's just the outside that's imposing problems there. I actually am more concerned about the skilled labor. So I didn't like it when Trump was like, no, no, we need to keep the Mexicans from cleaning your house and get people from India to compete with your kids for places in colleges. And it's like, well, you know, actually what they were doing is pushing down the wages in Silicon Valley. Like Facebook is a huge lobbyist for those skilled visas. And I wonder Mm -hmm. if it's that these other countries have quote free college. So they're in these countries, they don't have school debt because they've exploited their own communities for, to get, this education and they come over here and they can drive down the wages because they don't have the debt. So like, I feel like there's a lot of manipulation there, but it's not just illegal immigration that I feel like is used against us. It's uh, the legal stuff. And I think that there's a much bigger picture here. And I think that with like COVID and lockdown and all that stuff, pushing people online, I think that our labor is going to get, that kind of labor is going to get outsourced to the other country. I don't think we're going to have to worry about skilled labor coming across the border because I think they're just going to do it with the keystrokes. So that's some stuff. And I got more, but you go. Yeah. As far as whether or not an increase in uh, the number of people will drive down the wages. The difference between, of course, an immigrant coming over and just an increase in the amount of products is the immigrant is also a consumer of other products and services. I have not looked into the uh, empirical research much on that, but I will uh, certainly uh, take your word. No, I haven't. No, I haven't done the empirical research. That is a theory that I have that for some reason – the people who come over, the skilled labor that comes over drives the wages down. That's I think that's stuff that I've read coming straight out of Silicon Valley. And that is why that they and I know that they lobby for both STEM subsidies. And so they want education to they want public education to support. And that's a big thing for Biden. Free Community College plugs right into pushing people into it's like three things, cybersecurity and a couple of other things that push them from middle school to getting their associate's degree where they get free training for these quote jobs, but the corporation should pay for that themselves. And I I was speculating that not immigrants don't just have lower costs because they come from poorer countries, but because they don't have debt payments. That's a speculation. Yeah. uh, I'm not uh, sure about the college situation in other countries, but one of the main costs along with, you know, uh, having to either increase the money supply to pay for these free programs The other cost is credential inflation. So when you take all these people who otherwise would not have gone into an area, when you put them into a class that they otherwise would not ambitiously be in, the teacher is much more likely to lower the standards instead of failing the entire class. So everyone who graduates has much less knowledge than they otherwise would have had if the standards of getting in were much higher. Putting people into college and making them smarter is almost as ridiculous as saying tall people are in the NBA, therefore forcing short people into the <laughs> NBA will make them taller. No, totally. No, it's the more ambitious people who would get into those college areas and then be more productive afterwards. So literally, with things like uh, free college, with things like affirmative action and all these quota systems, everyone is made worse off. We have worse doctors, worse pilots than we otherwise would be, worse engineers than we otherwise would have because of credential inflation. So that is another reason why uh, so many people should care, because things like that exist. Yes, that is true. And of course, it pumps up the actual price of college. And then it they say, well, we need free college now. It's like college is like $75,000 a year or something crazy like that. And that's I, I actually attribute that. I'm like, why is there twice as many? Why are there twice as many applicants to colleges now? Do we have twice as many kids? I mean, it could be that the international students pay more because they don't get they actually do pay more. The tuition is higher in for international students a lot of the times. But what they're doing with the community college, with the free college, their real focus is on community college, which it looks to me they are converting into kind of tech trade school and just making it free, which is a total subsidy to tech companies. And I don't think that's an accident. But okay, moving on, I just wanted to say something I forgot about. The Republican governors are by inserting groups of uh, immigrants into cities that they didn't migrate into they i think that they have been they're following in the footsteps of the human rights industry and whatever nefarious 
purposes were behind that, where they will take entire groups of people and insert them in a place that's inorganic for them to be. So like there's been Chinese immigration to, to California for a very long time. There's been Cuban and Island immigration into Florida for a long time. There's Mexican up to Texas used to be part of Mexico. That's pretty organic. When I was growing up, any Hispanic person that I ever met was Puerto Rican. And then I remember when there were Mexicans in New York, it's like, we're had. I'm so surprised to see Mexicans here. You know, what, what, what would make them think that? And Irish people went to Chicago and Boston. So now when you take Somalians and put them in Minneapolis, like I feel like Swedes used to go to Minneapolis because they were used to the cold. Like it was they, that culture, that um, geography, geology, whatever they could handle. They were suited to it. And uh, the culture emerged from there with that kind of organic immigration. So when I see the Southern governors, like literally uprooting people and putting them in places where they would never organically arrive, I feel like it is an intentional um, I don't know about the, those governors, but it replicates a historic culture clash that I feel is always on purpose. Oh, uh, that uh, is is very likely. And you look at how much they're able to benefit from the culture clashes that, uh, that, that exist, constantly dividing people with the fake gender pay gap, with um, the, the uh, BLM movement that doesn't address any of the unarmed whites that have been killed by police like Duncan Lemp or Kelly Thomas. They're constantly stoking these flames, saying this is really Mexican territory and America is uniquely bad because of uh, Native American uh, mass murder campaigns, which are all true, but none of them are unique to the West. So the cultural conflict is something they always benefit from because as uh, Barack Obama would f uh, famously say in, in private, he said that government is defined as a monopoly on violence. But in uh, public, he had actually said that the thing about government is it's the one thing we all have in common. So bringing all these people in that don't have a shared language, don't have a shared religion, don't have any shared institutions, they don't have any shared presumptions. Well, the one thing we do have is to look for Senator Joseph Biden, the wise man who is only uh, the, the one person smarter than Kamala Harris. This is who we're going to get information <laughs> from. So, uh, uh, so yes, because Johnny government Hurley, <laughs> Johnny Hurley. No, no, serious. No, not stupid. He was a good Samaritan who was killed in Colorado by a cop after, after he stopped he, the shooter. Yeah. Johnny Hurley just got to give him. People really yeah. care about him. He doesn't get much press. Uh, that monopoly on violence thing, I was just reading a document. It was just mind-blowing to me. I don't even know how I came across it, but it was a real deep state document, like straight out of, I don't know what, the Rand Corporation or whatever. And it referred to the breakdown of governmental monopoly on violence as being something that they had on their radar. Interesting. It was wow. interesting. It's amazing how dumb they are in front of the cameras. <laughs> and then in their secret documents are like, we, we know what the heck this is. I yes, had that we're with, doing uh, it on purpose, of course. Yeah, there was this guy, Trent Franks, who was a congressman in Arizona. Dumbest guy in front of the camera. Couldn't put two words together. I went to a uh, private meeting of his right next to an airport. The guy is like Tom Woods level brilliant, knows more about the free market than I probably ever will. And I go, son of a gun, you intentionally dumb it down to the lowest common denominator for the voters. It's incredible That's stuff. Politics is acting for the stupid. So, <laughs> so do you ever see the Phil Hartman SNL uh, or for the ugly um, SNL skit of Phil Hartman playing Ronald Reagan? No, I so, don't think so. So he's sitting there at the Oval Office, like nodding off and like licking a lollipop or whatever, because they always said how dumb Ronald Reagan was. But he was like the president of the Screen Actors Guild and governor of California. Like he wasn't dumb. But so it, they have him like, you know, playing with Legos. And then as soon as the cameras are off, he's like, okay, everybody, let's get to work. You do this, <laughs> you do that, you do this. And that might have been true now that you mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like like they want to make them more likable, more relatable, so uh, they don't really uh, flex the intellectual muscles. So I want to also just touch on a few other concerns that I think you may be led with that uh, some of the issues with immigration that people, might concern people is they vote away uh, – they can vote away our rights because they don't understand the American – the, the source of our prosperity. And I've been countered with that by saying, well, it's not a democracy, so they can't change foundational law. But our representatives do violate foundational law under the banner of public opinion 
And I mean, they feel like elections have consequences and some of those consequences are, now if they were willing to restore the constitution and stand by it, I wouldn't, I, there wouldn't really be much of a risk of people who didn't understand the system having the power to vote away the foundational liberties. When it comes to uh, they will vote away our rights, you know, it's very rare that we get things like Cuban uh, immigrants to America who are like viciously anti-socialists. A lot of people have uh, the mind control assumption that some people, government has the right to rule everyone else. And so long as we use violence through this mechanism, it is totally okay. This is the primary reason that we need to privatize everything because th <laughs> yeah. these terrible things can happen. People can be invited and uh, vote your rights away because everyone else has already recognized government's right to do so. If we didn't have this big thing here for them to uh, come use as a parasite against the rest of us, this wouldn't happen. So the immediate question is, well, privatizing all the land, that's so far in the future, that's so unrealistic. Well, uh, another thing that's unrealistic is lobbying to get a bill passed and then for government to pass it and then accurately enforce it. I mean, that is so unrealistic. It's so <laughs> unbelievable. So there is a, a chapter in a small book that I collected called The Voluntarist Handbook. And it's by a guy named Sheldon Richmond, who works with me at the Libertarian Oh, Institute. yes. Mm -hmm. Of course. And he says, uh, he, he's an uh, open borders advocate, um, as am I, basically. Um, so he says, look, it can be a little uh, daunting. You know, we disagree with people on education, climate change, agricultural subsidies, healthcare, and everything we're never going to change everyone's mind. This is impossible. He actually says it's not everything we have to change people's mind on. There is only one thing we have to change people's mind on, and that's the moral double standard of the state usually, but it also applies to your local thief who wants to steal but doesn't want to be stolen from, the kidnapper who wants to kidnap but doesn't want to be kidnapped himself. So by changing the way people think, uh, just as you would have to if you were trying to get people to vote a certain way, you'd have to change the way they think about immigration. What we could do is simply strip people of this double standard they have uh, when it comes to governments having the right to tax, expropriate property in such a way that no one else has the right to. This is the source of the issue. It's why we have a, an argument over who can come into the country and not the continent or uh, the, the local mall or – uh, the bowling alleys, all of these private institutions, are they're able to harmoniously cooperate with everyone else. It's once you get a state who starts calling the shots for hundreds of millions of strangers and pay no cost for being wrong. So the root of the problem is not enough libertarianism. <laughs> I agree with that 100% that a free society would be the perfect solution to this issue. But I want to address that property rights thing specifically because I think I've teased out a nuance that not everybody recognizes, which is when they deprived us of our absolute property rights, which I believe was under the guise of being anti-racist or whatever, the Civil Rights Act and stuff, when they said, well, um, segregation, which was a government mandated injustice where they infringed on people's property rights to serve anybody in the public they wanted to, and the Civil Rights Act said that that the private uh, enterprise could not could not discriminate. So either they had to discriminate or they could not discriminate. Liberty was not an option. So once you say that people cannot form their own associations on their own private property, then that piece of their property rights pushed out to a different border. You're right. It doesn't push out to the border of the continent, but it did push out to the border of the government that established that limitation on the property rights. And now we all share ownership of that pro of that piece of our property rights. And then we have to say, well, I wouldn't let Mexicans on my property, but now that I don't get to make that call, I have to decide whether Mexicans can come into the country or not. Now, I know that sounds racist. I don't, I'm, I wouldn't frequent a place that discriminated against people. I probably couldn't frequent a place that discriminated against Mexicans, but <laughs> uh, because of my Hispanic surname. But I just feel like um, that that is why there's conflict among libertarians in this issue. So I'm not in the current, the status quo, I am not an open borders libertarian because we don't have a free society and that would require a free society. And I think actually the most egregious 
the the one policy factor that also people don't really focus on is why do they tie the right to work and travel uh, with the right to vote or the right or the or to be a citizen? Like these are things that are really fundamental. You could just eliminate all the conflict if you restored our property rights and disconnected the right to work and travel. These fundamental rights, property rights, the right to work and travel should be autonomous, un, unfettered. Correct. And I would say even the property rights violation go arguably to the uh, tax on the Whiskey Rebellion. So right when they formed a state, that Native American Removal Act, uh, the Civil War, uh, the, the income tax. Of, of course, there's so many examples of the major aggressor saying, I get to aggress. Oh, and I want free entry. Now all of you have an obligation to deal with everyone indiscriminately. I'm well aware of all that. However, the question is, is, is the cost of excluding massive amounts of peaceful people worth the cost of uh, not allowing them to uh, freely move between countries just as we move freely between towns, cities, states, etc.? This is one of the main things that it, it's almost like the lockdown mentality writ large. So you could say, well, I support locking people down because if they have a virus – uh, I wouldn't be able to discriminate against them, so this is all I have in the meantime. Or we can say, well, uh, people should have to have a license to have kids because the government taxes me. So if people just unregulatedly have kids, well, then I can't discriminate against them, and then they can start violating my rights. Those kids will have the right to vote. So that is the question. Now, where you and I uh, would agree with this is, uh, the closest that I would come to justifying restriction of entry to a country would be saying it is the smallest thing we can do. It could be our one deviation from the free society because it's so vitally important. So this would be the amount of minimal necessary force to provide a framework for us to achieve a libertarian society is excluding people who do not have an understanding, who don't have a default understanding or appreciation for freedom. So saying that because it is the smallest thing we could do. It's impossible uh, to do that. Um, yeah. But, it's impossible to do that because who would be the arbiter? Uh, the the uh, invitees, just as in El, uh, Ellis Island, you would have uh, people uh, vouch for you. And then these people uh, are the yeah. uh, property yeah. owners I mean, I that think that's, you'd, you'd be able to That's visit. closer closer to how it was before the Kennedy thing, before the Kennedy change, which was just anybody who was related could come in. Okay, so I will say one more thing on this topic, and then I want to move on is that the strict immigration laws actually exacerbate the problem we're talking about because by connecting, by burdening that right to work and travel so heavily with such extreme penalty, not, I mean, beyond even just deportation, People don't feel like they can move in and out, so they will never, ever leave. Once they get across the border the first time, they're never leaving. Whereas in the past, migrant workers would come and go constantly, just come and go. And I believe that farm workers, some farm workers still have that right and still observe that pattern because they want to, I, I don't know who it was, Hopper or something said, that like you want everybody who's working of working age to live in the cities and you want all the people who are retired to live on the beaches. So we should just swap with, Co you know, LA people should swap with Costa Rica people when they're, you know, 50 or 60 or whatever. And you know, that's the idea is that that freedom would, it's kind of like uh, Cosa's theorem. Like it would just, the mo the optimal allocation of resources would just happen. Yeah. The, so the question is when you see migrants coming over the border, um, it, there's tons of now drone footage of the sneaky ways in which they try to get in because there is a wall in large parts of Arizona. Uh, do you think you'd be uh, forcibly uh, j justified in forcibly stopping them from coming into the country? You're seeing people sneak across the border, you're saying? All the time. It's like and, what, and you're asking me if I could chase them away? If I could uh, chase them back? If, if, if uh, Would you support the police forcibly stopping them from crossing the border? Um, I mean, there's no difference between stopping them and having a border patrol at all. I guess I would have to say, first of all, let me, let me start with this. If they were 
crossing the border into my property in Texas, I would have the right to just shoot them dead. And and you and I agree with that. The, so, so so the whole thing is is so in my uh, this opinion, is not justly acquired land. There should be about. no public land at all. Like that's what I always thought. Like there should and that's be no what public I said land. Earlier. Yeah. There should be no border. So if there's if there there would be that private pro- perfect private property rights all the way up to the you know it wouldn't matter if it was the border of a country or not. And then you would have a natural um, adjustment in the price of that land. Because that person would have to presumably have a higher cost of defending his property than someone more in the interior, assuming that that the country that you're talking about is safer than the country where people are coming from. But I had a friend who lived in Texas and he had borderland right up to the Rio Grande. And he said he used to be able to go to the river. But after a while, he couldn't anymore because the drug cartels would be in stands, you know, like hunting perches and they would shoot people who would go too close to the river because they were protecting their trade routes. Mm-hmm. So anybody who was crossing into his land was considered an interloper on those drug cartels trade route and they would be shot. So he himself could not go to the border of his land because the drug cartels had closed the border. They had closed the border effectively with that just simple thing. And he could have closed the border on his side too, if he had wanted yes. to, but he never wanted to. The, the the drug war, another great state <laughs> violation. We, 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 we can't make so, any progress here. So uh, so if the, uh, the the question is, is that land something that could be up for a vote? Or are we just saying we as libertarians want to make this the one violation that we have to reluctantly engage in because the state is twist our arms in 50 directions? We now have to draw the line here because you damn statists are going to bring these people in and then vote away more of our freedoms. Because if that's our stand, that I I think I could actually uh, (laughs) like fully get behind. It's like, look, I want these people to do whatever the hell they want. I feel horrible that they're in countries that don't, uh, that haven't embraced anarcho-capitalism. But then again, neither have we. But you pieces of trash are forcing me to do this because I would want them here. But knowing what you're going to do once they cross, I'm going to support closed borders. Here's the problem. The problem is that we don't have a free society and all of these violations of our rights, starting with property rights, with the rights to work and travel, with the rights to freely exchange in uh, trade of goods, arm's length transactions in drugs and unmolested use of drugs, all of that stuff uh, are the reasons that we have all these complications. So that's why, I mean, realistically, if we were to open the borders tomorrow with all the pathological actors who are in control of our government's policy, because we don't live in a free society, we don't have, we have a country where our government is pathological. They, it's a pathocracy. Mm-hmm. They, they hate us. And they want to hurt us because they benefit from that. And that's why them with the reins, they're they're the ones with the keys to the gate. And if they're allowed to let people in and not, you know, so it's really a very difficult, very difficult question. And before we move on, I want to just say one thing. I've got a couple more things on this point and I'm going to ask you, I don't know what you're up to, but can we make this a double header? Because we didn't even get to the executive order. Of course. Yeah. Okay. So two other things that I think, one, I think I make a good point and one is a HAPA point, which I disagree with. The, I believe that this illegal immigration, so I'm talking about the unskilled labor that comes across the border, probably the Southern border is, uh, masks the dysfunction of the welfare state and labor laws. So if you, we have this floor, it's like a $35,000 floor where people who are born in this country have access to let's say $35,000 worth of goods and services by default, even if they don't work. Let's just, I mean, do you, do you agree or disagree with that? That like welfare, social services and all of that, as well as minimum wage kind of set a floor to how much Americans will, will command to work. Uh, Yes. Uh, Certainly. uh, Yeah, certainly. Because uh, both floors and ceilings are, by definition, the result of any regulation or coercive intervention. Right. So it, given that we have these wage floors that are artificially induced by welfare benefits that reach a certain level, you would have an absolute empl- uh, crisis, unemployment crisis. There would be no, as the report from Iron Mountain says, carriers of water. There would be nobody to do the one thing that robots will never be able to do, which is 
house cleaning, like literally. <laughs> they can't mm-hmm. house clean. Surprise me. There is no Rosie the robot uh, from the Jetsons. So, and I'm not, I'm not diminishing. I, I, I mean, it's very all my both of my grandmothers were maids when they came to this country. That's what they were. So I'm not stereotyping. I'm just saying they were maids. And then my mother was like a nurse's aide. Like these are the occupations for first generation people. Maybe they change over time, but what I'm talking about is massive amounts of labor that you would see being unfilled, labor demand being unfilled if you did not have this this Milton Friedman free market, um, labor market filled by uh, by, uh, illegal immigrants. And that's, that's actually a problem. I want, like, I want there to be a balanced budget so that before you spend, you need to the people who are voting for spending need to be the ones who are bearing the tax simply for that reason. So if you are supporting these laws, you need to see the consequences of those laws and you don't because these laborers will do your lawn and clean your house and you can vote blue all day long. Yeah. uh, I totally agree with everything there. Okay. So then I'll give you the Hoppe thing that I don't agree with. Hoppe said they're coming in and they're using the roads and all the stuff that we paid for. Do you know why I hate that example? I think I wrote it in something that you read. Uh, Yeah, you hate it because it applies to every other citizen and it was never built with your consent. You never got a direct vote in it. And it's you use the example of it's built up to your doorstep and they never like, hey, hey, Monica, it's Joe Biden. I just want to run some things by you before we spend your money. That's access to all by all. Like they can, they prevent you from having a closed community. They, they require you to have a post road right up to your house. So you absolutely, anybody who comes into this country has access to your front door. Like that is a thing that will freak you out if you think about it. Not me because I live in a, you know, interior, but, uh, okay. So no, because we haven't paid for it yet. We have a $30 trillion national debt. All the people who are coming over volunteering, they are enslaving their children to that 30. We are a bankrupt country de facto. We're not illiquid, but we're fundamentally insolvent on a long enough timeline and not like a zero hedge timeline, like just a a real, you can do the math kind of timeline. So these people are volunteering volunteering themselves and their children to enslavement for the infrastructure that we didn't consent to. We didn't, I did not consent yeah. to it. I, my children are enslaved involuntarily, but they are coming over. They should understand what they're getting themselves involved in. Inevitable, impossible debt to pay off. Certainly. Um, and I remember in the article, you said 17 trillion. I go, oh my this gosh, thing, this thing was written a while ago. Cause yes. it's up to 30. So it's $30 trillion. It just cannot be repaid within this paradigm. So I think we are, we're going to have some kind of collapse in our lifetime, Keith. So if uh, we recognize that uh, people generally have the right to move between towns, cities, and states within America, but we're drawing a line at the country. Could we then say, that I support open borders between, say, Texas and Arizona, even though there's a state in between, open borders between those two. However, if uh, by some reason, every time someone crossed the border from Arizona to Texas, I started taking more of your money. You, Monica, I take more money from you every time someone crosses that border. Therefore, in a default scenario, you'd have no right to forcibly stop them from crossing, but because I, the state in this example, am initiating aggression as a result of other people doing something voluntarily, now you have an, a right to stop them from doing so. Is that how we can say uh, that's the difference between country passing and state passing? Uh, I think I have no objection to that. I think that's okay. right. Yeah. I mean, it's such a difficult situation to be in because here we are saying the lockdowns are ridiculous. People should be able to travel, go wherever they want. I mean, imagine if you needed a vaccine passport to go between states. Would we say, well, the society's already not free. And if an Arizonan is a not, not a net taxpayer and they go to Florida, well, then they're really a parasite on people in Florida. It's just so difficult, the situation that the government advocates have put us in, that my only approach is the minimal necessary force approach is to uh, not allow people in based on that metric. We hate to not let you in, but these damn statists keep initiating aggression. The second they stop and privatize everything, everyone comes over uh, however long you want. 
yes, I think I will always come back to <clears throat> that the ideal circumstance and everything would be self-correcting if we did have the freedom, the free society, but we do not have the free society, even if they restored the constitution so that we would have those fundamental liberties. I think we'd be on uh, firmer ground, but I'm a little distracted because I want to make a break here and uh, hoping that you'll stick with me so that we can do a part two. Of course. Okay. So I am Monica Perez and I am here with Keith Knight of the Libertarian Institute. And we are doing a first ever uh, deep dive with a buddy. And before I sign off on this part one and we launch into part two, I wanted Keith to tell people how to find him and the cool thing that he just sent me free and that you could have for free too. You can find me at libertarianinstitute.org. We have a ton of material there, both uh, current affairs, things that are going on in the news, as well as uh, things that are historically important. Scott Horton just published a book called Hotter Than the Sun. This is a history of close calls and the history of nuclear development and how why it's so important that we don't provoke world wars over Taiwan with China or over the Donbass region with Russia. The other book we recently published, you can get a free PDF of. It's titled The Voluntarist Handbook, a collection of essays, excerpts, and quotes. This is uh, a collection of essays that brought me from being a progressive to being a libertarian. I got them all in here. There's uh, the there's 52 chapters. So each chapter is really short. There's a ton of variety. It's a bunch of people from 1850 to today who all had different starting points but came to the same conclusion. That's what I'm working on. That's where you can find it at libertarianinstitute.org. That is some powerful stuff. Okay, guys, so look forward to the next episode of Deep Dives where you've got part two with Monica and Keith tackling the libertarian immigration conundrum. <laughs>